0: Many of you know that I like running, but what you probably don't know is that I only like running outdoors. I detest treadmills. Now they have obvious advantages, right? They, you get reduced wear and tear on your knees, which is good as I get older. It's an increasingly good thing. Uh, it can set up a, a consistent pace, right? Because I have a tendency to let my mind wander, and the next thing I know, it's taking me a whole lot longer to finish a mile because my mind is all over the place. There is the wonderful assurance that you will never step in (laughs) something. But none of that matters to me, because I have no interest in running on a treadmill because it is boring, because it is futile, because I go nowhere. Right? I get nowhere. Running on a treadmill might be the perfect run, but it is a whole lot of work to go nowhere. And all the while I'm on right? If you're out on a long run in your neighborhood and you decide you want to quit, well, that just, you still got to walk home. <laughs> but if you're on the treadmill and you decide to quit, well, you're right where you started. You never went anywhere. That's the whole problem. So, so the whole time, right, I, I just have this voice in me encouraging me to quit. This is boring. This stinks. The TV never has anything interesting on it. If you're not getting anywhere. Quit, quit, quit! It takes extreme discipline to pull off a run of several miles on a treadmill. If you're me, well, I think many of us have a tendency to manage our sin like we're on a treadmill. You see, like whether we like to admit it or not, we all have certain things that we are drawn to that do not please God. That is just the nature of who we are. And so if we are serious about pleasing God, if that's something we think is important, then when the moment strikes where we give in and do whatever it is that we are drawn to, we fall into that trap. It it kicks off a cycle, and for some of us it's kind of an endless cycle, in which we feel guilty. Yeah, we failed God. So then we resolve, we're going to be better. Then we work hard to do better. Then we do better for a while. And then we do bad again. And like a treadmill, we just keep going over that same terrain over and over and over again without getting anywhere. But there is good news that's available to everyone, right? We can get off of our sin management treadmill. God has freed his people. He sets us free to really run the race of life, to really go somewhere meaningful with our life, rather than just being stuck in the same cycle over and over again. But we have to accept God's provision for this. We have to embrace our freedom in order to live the adventure of a free life. This is the focus of today's passage as we are continuing through Paul's letters to the Galatian church. And the letter that, that we, as we have made the point over and over again, proclaims good news for everyone. I read this morning from chapter ten, chapter three, verses ten through fourteen. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written curse be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. In these verses, Paul is addressing both the bad news of our natural lives and the good news of living life by faith in Jesus Christ. He's explaining to us exactly how it is that Jesus Christ can offer us this good news. And he reveals the glorious truth that Jesus redeemed us from a curse to enjoy God's presence. Right? Let's, let's turn that over in our mind. Jesus redeemed us from a curse. To enjoy God's presence. And that is good news for everyone. There are three principles that undergird this good news. The first is that we are all naturally under a curse. Right? Verse 10 delivers us this bad news for all who rely on works of the law under a curse. Now let's think about that for a little while. If we are left to our own devices, if we are just sorting things out on our own, making our own way, this statement applies to every single human being. That we are cursed because we were each created in the image of God, and we naturally want to have a relationship with Him. God created us to have a relationship with us, with Him. He imprinted on our hearts a sense of the eternal a yearning to be in a relationship with him. And this is that heartfelt longing that is expressed by every religion and every spiritual movement in the world. All around the world, people are seeking God in some way because we are made to seek him. And yet we are cursed by nature. Because we each do things that we shouldn't, and we each fail to do things that we should. And so even though we have the most fervent desire to, to see and experience and relate to God, we fail to consistently live by His good design for our lives. And these failures separate us from Him. They separate us from this God that we long to be with. This is the curse. This is the frustration. We, we want to get there. And yet we keep tripping over ourselves, and we can't. Right? On our own, we are cursed. Because on our own, we need perfect behavior to enter the presence of our perfect God. God who created us, who crafted us carefully, He is holy, and He is Righteous and he is just and he is good and he is utterly without sin or wrongdoing. And so, because of his holiness, that degree to which he is separated from anything unrighteous, he cannot permit sin or sinful people like us to enter into his presence. So, for us to approach him. To be able to enter his presence right now through prayer or, or for eternity when we die, we have to somehow match his standard of perfection and holiness and behave perfectly. We have to follow every single rule. We have to abide by every moral and ethical standard of God in order to come before him. And verse 10 explains the futility of all this. As Paul puts Deuteronomy 27-26, For it is written, Curse be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now Paul is of course specifically talking about the requirements of the Jewish law. 613 rules and laws. Because this is the thing that was tempting, that was beckoning the Galatian Christians to come back to the law. But the truth that Paul is presenting here applies to every world belief system that's out there that requires believers to behave perfectly according to some set of rules and behaviors, right? This is quite literally the premise of every other belief system and religion in the world, whether it's Islam or Mormonism or Judaism or Hinduism, you name it, right? Each of them is prescribing certain behaviors and rituals and rules and habits that must be followed diligently in order to get right with God. But that's impossible. No matter how hard we try, no matter how diligent we are, our human nature will eventually get the best of us. And this is the first false time. What can be worse than having a, a yearning for the divine and a complete and total inability to get there? Right, this is the curse, a burning desire to know God, but an inability to do so because of our inevitable sin. This is the unyielding, unstoppable frustration of the treadmill of sin. in. if we have to save ourselves by being perfect, then those hundreds of things that we will have to do will eventually leave us exhausted and guilty and discouraged and depressed, because we are naturally slaves to sin and condemnation and death and damnation. Romans three twenty three explains it like this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right? Every single one of you who's gathered here, every single person you're going to encounter this week as you go about your, your daily life, has sinned and regularly fall short of the glory of God of a perfect God. This is reality, and we need to embrace this reality. We need to get past any sort of illusions about this reality, because if we don't, we're never really going to be able to adequately explain or cope with the messiness of the world around us. And this is why, when you look around, everything is so messed up. We have to come to grips with this truth in order to come to grips with the world. The point of Paul is emphatically making the Galatian church is that for this reason rule following can't ever save us. In verse 11 he explains, Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law, but the righteous shall live by faith. Here he's pointing Habakkuk back at 2.4. Two To explain to us that rule following, even if you follow all 613 rules of the Jewish law, does not save us, does not justify us, but where we are able to stand before God and be declared innocent. Only faith can justify us. Only faith can save us. Only faith can give us life, and rule following doesn't require faith. Right? He continues this point in verse 12, "...but the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them." You see, we must never, ever forget when we slide back into legalism and rule following, which is so tempting for us in our Christian walk. Right? That's our kind of our default mode sometimes. When we slide back into that as a way to stand before God, it sounds wonderfully pious, right? We sound like super-Christians! but in truth it requires no faith in anyone other than ourselves. Right? If we think we can save ourselves, then we only need faith in our own awesomeness. we think that if we can simply do the right thing through self-discipline and hard work, then we'll be able to get right with God on our own terms. And that's not faith. Right? We can slap a Christian label on it, We can make a program about it, but it's not faith. And we like to do it an awful lot, right? We sure do try to save ourselves by hard work and moralism and self-discipline, don't we? And all that is is getting back on the treadmill of sin management, trying to do right on our own, trying to stop sinning by our own willpower, and that works great until we meet a temptation that is bigger than our willpower. And trust me, they're out there. Again, this is the default behavior of every other faith on earth. Detailed, exacting, perfect, rule-following required. But unfortunately, it's also the default way many of us live our Christian life. Right? And if that's how we want to be saved, let's be clear. We're going to die on that trip. Right? You're going to be separated from God forever because as Romans 6.23 explains, For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life and Christ uses our Lord. Death is the curse of the law. It's the curse of living under any and every other belief system because we are slaves to sin, slaves to condemnation, slaves to death, and slaves to eternal damnation. But Christ redeemed us from that curse. Right? In ancient times, a slave could be redeemed from their captivity. His or her freedom could be purchased. Redemption literally means to buy off or to set free by the payment of a price. That in exchange for a certain payment, a slave could be redeemed, could be free to go home, go back to his or her family. And this is the word picture Paul is painting for us, that Christ redeemed us from slavery to the curse by becoming a curse himself. In verse 13, Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Now, Jesus is the eternal Son of God. He was present at creation. By Him, all things were made, and yet He chose to enter into our world, taking on human nature, in order to redeem us, to buy our freedom from the curse at a price. The price is his life. The price is his body birth. The price is his bloodshed. Because only the perfect, sinless sacrifice of the eternal and infinite Son of God could pay the price, the accumulated debt of all the sin of all the people who have ever walked the earth and all who ever lived. Only a perfect and sinless sacrifice could could possibly pay for all the sin that I've committed in my life, and all the sin that each of you has committed throughout your lives. Hebrews ten ten explains that by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. This is what we proclaim this morning. This is what we celebrate today as we observe the Lord's Supper. That Jesus Christ, God in the flesh gave up that flesh, took on our sins, became our sin for us, and sacrificed his body and blood to redeem us. <laughs> Second Corinthians 5.21 expresses it so beautifully. For our sake he made him that he said who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. At the cross, Jesus took our sin upon ourselves and then he gave us his righteousness, his holiness, his innocence. He quite literally came under the curse of God because of our sin. This is what Paul means as he quotes Deuteronomy twenty-one, twenty-three: That anyone who's hanged on a tree, or in this case nailed to a wooden cross, is cursed by God. Jesus took this curse for us. He took this curse for you and for me. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Romans 5.8 explores this this sublime unfairness of us. We're people who love fairness. Well, this is completely unfair, the sacrifice of Jesus, because God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is the unfairness of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And just like that, we are free in Christ. We are free from guilt. We are free from shame. We are free from death. We are free from sin's power. But but we're not just free from. We are also free to. We are free to live for Christ by faith. We are free to enter into the presence of God right now in prayer. We are free to live lives of boldness and significance by the power of God. We are free to live forever in God's presence. Through the redemption of Christ we are free to lay down the burden that we carry around today and every day. And so this morning if you are worn down by a burden of guilt for something that lies in your past lay it down. Because Christ has redeemed you from it. If you are burdened by pain that you have suffered in the past, lay it down because Christ has redeemed you from its ability to dominate your life. If you're burdened by anxieties, lay them down. Because Christ has redeemed you from that and promised he will be with you every step of the way. If you are exhausted from maintaining the appearance of having it all together, lay that burden down, because none of us has it all together. And Christ redeemed us from having to have it all together. If you're burdened by some worldly label that's been stuck on you, a a label based on your past decisions or your mistakes or your income or your employment or your education or your intelligence or your ability or your citizenship or marital status, lay that burden down. Because Christ has redeemed you from every worldly label. And the only label that you are identified by is child of God. Christ redeemed us, and the really good news is that Christ redeemed us so that all could enjoy God's presence. Verse 14 delivers one of the many wonderful reasons for Christ's redemptive work on the cross. Namely, that we and every single person who embraces Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, regardless of nationality or ethnicity or religious background, can receive God's Holy Spirit. Christ redeemed us so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Earlier I mentioned to you that God created us to be in a relationship with him. Jesus redeemed us so that we could quite literally have that relationship by enjoying the presence of God within us 24-7. Every believer in Jesus Christ receives the Holy Spirit the moment we put our faith in Jesus, as Paul explains in Ephesians 1.13. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were seated with the promised Holy Spirit. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then God lives within you. The Bible testifies in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, and 20 that you are a walking, talking temple of the Holy Spirit. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. God is with you every moment of every day, no matter when you are doing good or when you are doing bad. God is with every believer in every moment, in the good times and the terrible times, when we are well and when we are sick, when we are surrounded by a crowd and when we are lonely, when we are happy and when we are grieving or depressed, when we are prosperous and when we are struggling to make ends meet. God's Spirit within us gives us comfort when we hurt, strength when we're weak, conviction when we're guilty, intercession when we have no words of our own an understanding of God's Word when we are overwhelmed by its complexity and complete life transformation. But it's up to us as to whether we're going to nurture that life in the Holy Spirit. We're going to nurture that meaningful relationship with God's Spirit in our hearts. Or whether we're just going to ignore Him and keep trying to live life on our own strength and our own abilities just like we did when we were under the curse of the law. If we want to get back on the treadmill, if you will. But that miserable life is not what Jesus died for. That is not what he redeemed you for. If you're a believer in Christ, then God is with you and God is in you. And this is our true, lasting comfort and our hope amidst a very crazy world. Everything else we enjoy in our lives, our homes, our cars, our jobs, our salaries, our savings, our pensions, our pets, our friends, even our families, could vanish tomorrow. These things cannot be the anchor of our identity, the anchor of our life, the source of our stability, because they are not saved. Only God's presence persists through every season, through every disaster, through every failure. And this is what Christ redeemed us to enjoy. This is the good news that we celebrate. in this. Paul made clear, verse 14, that this redemption was specifically so that the Gentiles, so all the peoples of the world, could receive this comfort and hope. We can't selfishly hold on to this good news for ourselves and our friends alone. Right? It's good news, but it's not just for us. As the world around us seemingly spirals downward on a daily basis, we cannot simply rest content with our redemption and quite literally let the rest of the world go to hell. We have to be reaching out with this good news, and with God's offer of redemption from the curse of how to save ourselves. Christ's redemption work on the cross is for all nations, for all races, for all people groups. His redemptive work is for the people who look like us and the people who don't. For the people who think like us and the people who don't. For the people who are likable and for the people who are very much unlikable. For the people we're comfortable with and the people who make us very uncomfortable. We don't get to choose the people God loves because he loves each of them. Church, our mission is to give people the opportunity to accept this free offer of redemption. To receive the Spirit of God that will sustain our lives, that will sustain their lives. And this is an enormous task that is far beyond any of be our abilities and capacities, but the good news is we don't have to do it in our abilities and our capacities. Christ has already promised He will be with us every step of the way this enormous path begins in our neighborhood. It begins across the street. It begins around the corner. It begins with genuinely loving our neighbors and praying for them. Be willing to explain to them our hope and joy amidst the world of uncertainty and ugliness. Church, we have a wonderful opportunity to do exactly this coming up in the fall. And I hope that you will join me and, and everyone else. That everyone in this body will gather together and join us as we reach out love our neighbors this week, this this fall. September 21 through 23. And regardless of whether you've ever wanted to go on a mission trip to a far off land, you will be able to have that experience. As we eat together, as we pray together, as we worship together, as we serve together, as we love our neighbors together, sharing the good news that God loves them, and that Christ died to redeem them. Amen. Church, this is our mission. And I pray that we will all come together to do the great work that God has laid before us. Because Jesus redeemed us from our curse to enjoy God's presence. And that's good news for everyone. Please pray. Heavenly Father, it is an extraordinary thing that we talk about today. The fact that we do not have to live our lives on our own strength. We do not have to stay on the treadmill of sin management, falling into ever greater despair when things don't work out, when our we fall back into those behaviors that we vowed never to do again. But extraordinary good news, Lord, that your Son sacrificed Himself, gave His body to be broken and His blood to be poured out to establish an entirely new covenant. To redeem us from having to save ourselves, which we surely cannot do. And so, Lord, we celebrate all that God Christ has redeemed us from, all that He has redeemed us for. We celebrate the presence of your Spirit within our hearts, Lord. And I pray that you will make us faithful to take this message with us wherever we may go, Lord that you would help us be faithful to share this great good news of redemption that is for all nations and for all peoples that we would live our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.